As we continue in our series on the church, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, and today I want you to turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Acts is located, uh, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're in a physical Bible, open up to the beginning to the table of contents. Uh, there you're gonna find the Bibles broken up into two sections mainly, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, Acts, where we're at today, is the fifth book of the New Testament. So find the New Testament, find the book of Acts, go to that page, and then flip through until you get to chapter 12. Now, if you're in an app, simply pull down the list of the books of the Bible. You'll find that Acts is around two-thirds of the way down that list. So find Acts chapter 12. Now, last week, I challenged us with the idea that we needed to consider the implications of this statement. If God plans it, God does it. And we discussed the idea of God's complete sovereignty in this world, that he has a plan and that plan will be executed. It will be fulfilled. And I ended the message last week with this challenge. I wanted you to consider if you truly trusted the sovereignty of God. Have you ever had somebody say, do you trust me? You know, in, in my family, at my house, we like Disney movies. Uh, my wife and I both are big fans. And there's a Disney movie called Aladdin uh, where this young, poor boy finds a genie in a lamp and, and requests, wishes that he would be a prince. And he goes on this, this crazy adventure to win the heart of the princess and defeat the bad guy. And, and everything ends up great in the end. But there's a common theme through the movie of Aladdin. And it it's, reaches its climax, its pinnacle, uh, in a scene where Aladdin is on the terrace of the princess's palace. And he's talking to the princess, trying to impress her and, and do all of these things. And at one point during this uh, interaction between Aladdin and the princess, he reveals that he has this magic flying carpet and he hops on and he's flying around and the princess is looking at him kind of with a lot of interest. And he says, would you be interested in taking a ride? And she pauses for a moment. And then Aladdin reaches out to her and says, do you trust me? And in that moment, she actually remembers another time when he had said that, when she remembered him as the poor boy on the street. And she starts putting the puzzle pieces together, but she has to respond to that request, do you trust me? And it's an amazing scene, you know? But have you ever been in a moment where you were going through a difficult time or you had a tough decision to make and you felt like God was reaching his hand out and saying, do you trust me? Have you ever been in one of those moments? Well, today we look at an instance where one of the leaders and the early church had to trust God. They had to trust God and his plan and his purpose. And as I talked about last week, his sovereignty, his full control over everything. So let's take a look at what happens. Acts chapter 12, we're gonna begin in verse one. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse one. And it says this, about that time, 
Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover was over to bring him out to the people. And so let's stop there for just a moment, but keep your place because we're coming back to this. James has been killed by King Herod. James was uh, an early leader of the church. And let me clarify, this is James, the brother of John. This is one of the followers of Jesus. This is not James, the brother of Jesus, who later writes the book of James in our New Testament, in this Bible. So James is taken, he's seized, and he is killed by Herod. And Herod realizes that through this action, he really pleased the people of Israel. It was something that the people seemed to rejoice in, that, that he was arresting and persecuting and killing these followers of Jesus. And so as a response, because he knew it pleased the people, he went out and found Peter and arrested him. Now, he doesn't kill Peter because at the time of Peter's uh, arrest, it's the time of Passover. It's one of the holiest, uh, most, most God-honored holidays that the Jewish people uh, celebrated. And you weren't supposed to do things like killing a, a prisoner during the Passover. It was a time when you stopped all that kind of stuff and you celebrated the freedom that God had given to his people. And so he had to wait until the Passover was done before he could go and kill Peter. And that was his intention. So Peter is in prison. And look at what happens. Pick up with me in verse five. Verse five, it says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by, to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door and guarding the, were guarding the prison. Verse seven, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Verse nine, and he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And when, he had, when they had passed the first and the second guards, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And that gate opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people who were expecting. Whoa, you, you realize what's just happened here. This is a miraculous jailbreak by the hand of the Lord. So let's back up. Go back to verse five. It tells us that Peter's been arrested. He's being held. And the intention of Herod is to, after Passover, to execute him. 
And so what does the church do in response? They pray. And so on the night before Peter was gonna be taken by Herod and executed, an angel suddenly appears in the cell. There's a light that shines in the cell so that, that Peter can see what's going on. And the angel literally, it says he strikes Peter to wake him up because Peter's fast asleep. So the, the angel like kicks him, wake up, Peter, come on, it's time to go. And the chains fall off. He throws his cloak on. They make it out of the prison. The gate to the prison, the big prison gate opens of its own accord and they walk out. And Peter realizes all of a sudden, whoa, this is really happening. This is not just a dream or a vision. This is really happening to me. I'm free. I'm not in the prison anymore. You see, this leads me to today's big idea. If you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that kind of summarizes the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. When we place our trust, he proves that trust. Let me say that again. When we place our trust, he proves that trust. You see, God will always prove that we can trust him, always. Look at what happens next. Pick up with me in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. It says this, and when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer and recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Verse 15, they all said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, well, it must be his angel. But Peter continued knocking And so when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them that he, with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So Peter arrives. He realizes what's going on. He heads to a safe house. He heads to uh, John's house, the, the, a man named John, but also known as Mark. And they were there, the church was there praying. And so Peter knocks on the door and a servant girl goes to answer. And she's so shocked that Peter's at the door that she leaves him there at the gate in the street. And she runs into the house to tell the people that Peter's there. She knows very well that the church has been just praying and praying and praying for Peter to be delivered. And now Peter is at the door. He's at the gate of the house. And they tell her she's crazy. She freaks out. They freak out. They go to the gate. And guess what? Peter's there. It's not his angel. It's not a dream. It's not some crazy fantasy of the servant girl. It's actually Peter. And so she opens the gate. Peter comes in and he quietly, he motions them. I'm not supposed to be here, but let me tell you what has happened. And he explains this miraculous story of the angel delivering him from prison. 
What an amazing account. You see, when we place our trust, he proves that trust. They were trusting in him. Think about it for a second. I want you to notice what the church and what Peter was doing before all of this happened. What's going on? So Peter's in prison. What is he doing? Well, verse five or verse six says that Peter's sound asleep. He's out like a light. What's the early church doing? They know that Peter's in prison. What are they doing? In verse five, it says that they are fervently praying for Peter. Both of those actions demonstrate trust. You see, if we think about it, Peter did not have the power to set himself free. Even the people of the church didn't have the power to set Peter free. They don't go to the streets and protest. They don't create a petition or sign something. They give it to God. They go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for his will to be done. Now, I would venture to say that they were asking for his will and they were trusting him to do whatever his will was, whether that was to set Peter free or for Peter to be executed. Because I want you to notice something here. In the early part of chapter 12, we read that James, one of the other apostles, is also arrested, but he's not rescued by God. You see, God's plan will always happen. Just like I said last week, if God plans it, God does it. Now, we don't know why James didn't survive. We don't know why God allowed him to be executed. I think it's because there's a contrast of trust accounts happening in chapter 12 here. I think we're seeing that James was arrested and executed and Peter was very miraculously rescued for prison. I think God is showing us that his plan is his alone, that we can't understand it. We can't comprehend what he's doing, but he's gonna do it. If he plans it, he does it. And when we place our trust, he proves that trust. And so the church placed their trust in God through prayer. But here's the thing, whether things are good or whether things are bad in our own lives, we're called to trust him. I've mentioned it before, but you hear the word and you read the word faith over and over and over through the Bible. Well, the original languages that this book was written in, the word for faith is also the word for trust. They are synonymous. So the idea here is that to have faith in God is to trust God. It's to trust God and his infinite knowledge, his perfect plan. We trust in his power. So we place our trust. And when we place our trust, he proves that trust. He's powerful enough to do that. And he is faithful to do that according to his word. So let me ask you a question. Maybe you're listening right now and maybe you've never become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never placed your trust in him, but maybe you're listening and you're thinking, you know what? 
following someone that has a plan for my life and that that plan is for my good so that I can have eternity in life rather than an eternity in punishment. Maybe those things sound good to you. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you wanna know more about what it means to trust in Jesus. Let me just briefly explain. Jesus was and Jesus is the almighty, all-knowing son of God. He came with a purpose to this earth. He was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life. And the purpose for all of that was so that he could die on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. You see, we are all sinners according to Romans 3. We are all sinners. We all fall short of God's perfection. And because of that, we need somebody to come in and cover us with their perfection. That's Jesus. That's what he did on the cross. He covered us with his perfection and forgave us of our sins. And when we believe in him, we can have eternal life with him rather than eternal punishment away from him. He offers that to you. You see, it didn't end with that death. He sacrificed his life so that we could be forgiven. But then on the third day, he rose from the grave, proving that he was the son of God, that he is the son of God and demonstrating to all of us that we can place our trust in him. He gained victory over sin and over death and we can trust him. And if you're listening right now and you've got questions or you wanna know more about Jesus or maybe you wanna make a decision for Jesus, please go to our website and click on the contact us page or click the link in this post. Go to the contact us page, fill that out and we will reach out to you as soon as possible. We would love to answer any questions that you may have about what it means to begin a journey with Jesus, what it means to truly trust Jesus. So don't hesitate, go ahead and go to our website and fill out that form and get the questions answered so that you can figure out what Jesus may be calling you to do. So I think this brings us to the question about what we do about trusting. How can we activate and make our trust in him stronger? Because we all have areas of our lives where we struggle to trust him. We all have areas of our lives where leaning completely in his sovereignty and having trust in that sovereignty can be difficult. And again, I talked about this last week. And let me just uh, address one thing that we received some questions this past week after last week's message. And, and please hear me. I want you to recognize that I gave three things that we do when we recognize God's sovereignty. Those things were to follow him, to give to him, and to celebrate and worship him. And some of you brought me questions about, well, if God is sovereign, what about politics? What about voting? If God's sovereign, why should I bother voting? Why should I bother doing this or that if God's in full control? He's gonna do it anyways. The reason why we go ahead and we vote and we are active in our culture and we make a difference in the lives of others is because we are the instruments 
of God's sovereignty. We are the ones that God uses to execute his plan, his purposes. You know, for, for some people in this world, we are the instruments that lead people to trust God. And so having a fatalistic attitude because we know God's in control, thinking that we don't have to do anything, that it's useless, that it's a waste of time to be active in the world or in, in, uh, in our voting or whatever it may be that you're having a fatalistic attitude toward, that's not biblical, that is incorrect. The fact of the matter is, is that God calls us to actively pursue God, to follow him, give to him and celebrate and worship him. We are the instruments of his sovereignty. And so please don't think, please don't fall into the fallacy that we don't have to do anything. The Bible's very clear that we are the active components to making God's plans and purposes take place. So how can we activate and make our trust in him stronger? Bringing it back to today's, uh, today's big idea, if knowing that, that we're supposed to trust him and if we place our trust, he will prove that trust. How do we activate and make that trust stronger? Well, I wanna give you four things this morning that the Bible points to us when it comes to trusting God. The first one is this. If we want to activate and make our trust in him stronger, we must study his word. Read it, listen to it, listen to preach, good preachers, godly preachers who are preaching God's word. Study, meditate on it, think about it day in and day out. And when you do, you will see over and over and over throughout God's word where God proved that different people could trust in him. He proved the trust. And through seeing that and studying it and bring it in, bringing it into your mind and heart, you will begin to have more confidence in the trust, uh, confidence and trust in him. So the first way that we activate and strengthen our trust is to study his word. The second way is to pray. What did the early church do that we see in today's passage? The early church, when they needed to trust him, they prayed, they gave their concerns, they gave their worries, they gave their anxieties, they gave their requests to the Lord. That's what they did. So we're called to do the same thing. Be honest, be transparent with God and it will help you. Prayer helps you be more dependent and trusting in God. So how do we activate and strengthen our trust? We study his word, we pray. Thirdly, we be patient. Listen to what Isaiah 40 verse 31 says. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The idea here is that when we trust in him, we are patient on his plan and purposes. You see, his timing is perfect. We don't know the plan, we don't know the timing of the plan, but we know that his plan is perfect and so we have to be patient with him. And Isaiah 40 verse 31 confirms that. When we wait on the Lord, our strength will be renewed. So, to activate and strengthen our trust, 
we study his word, we pray, we be patient on him. And lastly, be thankful. Be thankful. Philippians 4 verses 4 through 7 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when we know, when we study his word, when we're in prayer and when we're impatient with thanksgiving, God helps us to trust him more. He empowers us. He gives us the confidence that we need and the peace that we need to place our trust more and more in the very capable, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present hands of our Lord and Savior. And so study his word, pray, be patient, and be thankful. Those four things will help activate and strengthen the trust in the Lord. Now, let me be very honest here. What I'm telling you today is not easy. If it was easy, the Bible wouldn't address it so many times over and over and over. It's something that we all struggle with. And let's be honest, following God is not easy. And it's not about finding an easy route. What I'm saying to you today is that you can truly follow Jesus and trust him. And I would counter that by saying, I don't think it's possible to truly follow Jesus and not trust him. Because again, the word faith also means trust. We cannot follow Jesus and not trust him. It's not possible to follow him and not have trust in him. And so I encourage you today, when God reaches his hand out to you and says, do you trust me? I encourage you, grab his hand and let him show you his sovereignty. Let him prove that you can trust him. When you, when you place that trust, he proves that trust. So lay everything at the Lord's feet. Trust him completely with everything in your life and know that he will fulfill that plan, that trust through his sovereignty. Let's go to the Lord today and ask him to help us with that trust. So join me in prayer now. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are and we thank you that you alone are sovereign and that we can place all of our trust in you. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to do that. Help us through studying your word, through prayer, through patience, and through thanksgiving, through being thankful. Lord, through those elements of our lives, we pray as we do those things that you would activate and strengthen our trust in you. Just like in the movies when the, the, the good guy holds his hand out and says, do you trust me? Lord, help us to recognize that 
we can trust you when you ask, when you hold your hand out and you ask, do you trust me? Help us to realize that we can trust you. Lord, we thank you so much that you are almighty, that you are all knowing, that you are all present and unchanging and perfect in all of your ways. And Lord, we thank you that you have a plan and a purpose, not just for this world, but for each and every one of our individual lives. Help us to trust in you, in your perfection, your power and your plan. So Lord, we thank you again and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.